Clifton Fadiman has a book of anecdotes, and I found this one as we prepare for an inauguration in our own country. I was interested in inauguration stories, and he says that um, the many details which an inauguration committee must cope with in a short time inevitably produces a few mistakes. Thus, Franklin D. Roosevelt received an invitation to his own second inauguration. That was to be held on January 20th, 1937. And at first, through the White House Social Bureau, Roosevelt solemnly sent word that the press of official business would keep him away. But then he sent another note in his own handwriting that said, I have rearranged my engagements and think I may be able to go. We'll do definitely January 19, FDR. So we're having all these inaugurations at once. In our personal lives, we have just inaugurated a new year. In our national life, we will soon inaugurate another president for a second term. And in our church life, today we celebrate the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. Each of these pivotal points has its own ritual. On New Year's Eve, fireworks go off and the ball drops in Times Square, and some people still sing Auld Lang Syne. Next week's inauguration celebration will include the swearing-in ceremony for our president, along with a parade and an inauguration ball. The inauguration of Jesus was celebrated through the ritual of baptism and words of identity and love. So imagine Jesus standing in line for his baptism in the Jordan River. Whom do you see in the line in front of him? And might you too be in that queue? Standing in the line at the river, the one we recently celebrated as Emmanuel, God with us, is identifying with us and with other sinners like us. In Luke's gospel, John the baptizer has been helping others through turning points in their own lives. They have surrendered forward movement down their own paths and turned onto God's path. Their immersion in the water was a sign of cleansing them of their desires and replacing them with God's so that they could move forward on God's path. Something additional happens at Jesus' baptism. Though Mark's gospel describes the Holy Spirit's descent onto Jesus as he was baptized, Luke stresses the descent of the Holy Spirit afterward during Jesus' prayer. Listen again. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. This was a pivot point for Jesus, an inauguration United States presidents say, I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Now, for Jesus, 
It was like he was bowing his head, but raising his hand and praying, Almighty God, I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of Messiah to your whole world and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend your radically loving ways. Jesus could love people in radical ways because he knew he was radically loved by God. If he stood alone, he couldn't do this, but the power of the Holy Spirit, which appeared in tangible form, empowered him to go forth with this sense of belovedness and sonship. One preacher began his sermon by saying, I'm not well prepared this Sunday. It's been a terribly busy week, and I just didn't have much time to prepare the sermon. We'll have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Next week, I'll try to come better prepared. Y'all need to think about that. (laughs) The man didn't understand the power of the Holy Spirit like Jesus did, nor as Jesus' disciples came to understand that Holy Spirit. Because Jesus did, the disciples learned it too. Not at first, while Jesus was still with them, but a few years later, after Jesus' ministry, of which we're told in the Gospels, Jesus was making final preparations for his own departure with his disciples. And in there, John, in John 14, Jesus tells the disciples that God will provide an advocate for them, a helper, someone to remind them of the things that he's been teaching them over these past three years and empowering them to do great things. And days, weeks later, that Holy Spirit did bluster in on the day of Pentecost and drove away the doubts and fears that had bound their minds and their hearts and their spirits like duct tape that is wrapped too tightly. And those of you familiar with the Harry Potter stories will remember what an insult it was to be called a half-blood. It meant that one of your parents was magical and the other was not. And some powerful witches and wizards did not fully accept you if you were not a pure-blood. In today's text from Acts 8, Philip had been in Samaria, which was peopled with half-bloods not magical and non-magical, but they and the Jews had common ancestors centuries before. But in the Jews' opinion, the Samaritans had married outside of the clan and were therefore no longer worthy to be called a part of their group. So for Philip, even to take the good news about Jesus Christ into Samaria was a major step outward and forward for the disciples, and for the gospel. The good news for Jesus' Jewish disciples, and for the Samaritan half-bloods, and for foreigners like us, is like that news which Jesus heard after his baptism when he was praying. You are my beloved child. With you I am well pleased. God's not just a little pleased, but well pleased. 
Isn't that difficult to comprehend? That the creator of the world could care about individual creatures? And while some see attention there, others see balance. You are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. That is God's statement of love and faith in Jesus that would sustain him through the temptations in the desert and in the garden, through his arguments with the religious leaders, through his frustration with the disciples when they just didn't get it. You are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. And this was the statement that Jesus could go back to again and again, his inauguration day. And it's one that you and I can go back to as well, even though it's not easy. And even though we have to admit, we like it when things are easy. We like it when someone gives us something that we've been wanting and we don't have to pay for it or shop for it. We like gambling and lotteries when we hope to receive more than we invest. And in the decision to buy a new cell phone a few weeks ago, I talked with a mobile specialist at Best Buy. I told him I've had an iPhone for four years and I'm debating between that and an Android. And he said that with great certainty, he said that since I'm familiar with the iPhone platform, that's what I should get. That way I wouldn't have to learn a new operating system. Is that it? I asked. Is that the only reason you recommend the iPhone for me? And he said, yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay. (laughs) Um, Because it was easy. Well, I thought, okay, I must look stupid. (laughs) Don't respond to that. As if I don't like learning new stuff, as if we all want to take the easy way. Jesus' way is not the easy way. And this is why Isaiah needed to write to the followers of God, the Israelites who were having a difficult season in their long history. Now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, your protector, the one who brings you through the water and the fire. Water and fire are both cleansing and purifying elements, and they can be difficult to work your way through, and they can be painful. And yet God says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. The flame will consume all the extra detritus that's within us and around us. But the flame will not consume the us that God has created. And in difficult and painful seasons of our lives, we can know that God will help us through them. We can know that we too are God's beloved children and God loves us and is proud of us. The Samaritans who had received the good news 
of the gospel through Philip were given an even greater honor when the, uh, the head guys, Peter and John, followed Philip's visit to Samaria with their own. Philip had baptized them with water, but Peter and John went down and prayed that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, volumes and volumes have been written about this. Do we need to receive baptism by water first before we receive the Holy Spirit? Could the Holy Spirit come in before we're baptized? Do we have to have hands laid on us to receive the Holy Spirit? Lots of those questions that I think are, you know, you can examine those later if you want. But what we know, the fact that we have is Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So that was the game changer for them. Noah's basketball coach talked about their first game last week. They hadn't practiced for two weeks due to Christmas and New Year's, and they had only had a few practices, maybe three before that. The team scored a big two points in the first section, first um, period, and was behind for most of the game. But when the last period arrived, his coach said, it was like a light went on. We in the church might say, it was an epiphany. They started playing more like a team and scoring, and they ended up winning the game by two points. A light comes on when we become attentive to the Holy Spirit. It may not take the laying on of hands. It may just be tuning our attention to that Spirit that has been given to us. William Barclay wrote that Macarius, one of the early church fathers, said that just as the breath speaks by blowing through a flute, so the Holy Spirit spoke through holy and spirit-bearing people. Can you imagine hearing a flute and you know that the breath goes through and then it comes out with music? Breath by itself doesn't sound like music, but after you press those keys, it does. And so, like that, the Holy Spirit spoke, and I would say speaks, through holy and spirit-bearing people. The Holy Spirit invites us to a life of adventure. In Celtic Christianity, the Holy Spirit is symbolized by a wild goose, A wild goose. Now, David Clark, who's with the Society of St. Luke's in New Zealand, writes about how the wild goose is a reminder that the Spirit of God cannot be tamed or contained. When it comes to God, expect the unexpected. Wild geese are wild. They are untamed. They are uncontrolled. They make a lot of noise and have a habit of biting those who try to contain or capture them. And that has been the Christian experience of the Holy Spirit through 2,000 years. Time and again, when theology and God have appeared to be firmly in the control of hierarchies and the religious establishment, the Spirit of God has broken free and has often bitten those who tried to prevent it from happening. So are you ready to be bitten? Jesus was. Jesus was ready for that Holy Spirit. He had that sense of adventure beginning on his inauguration day and took off into the world. He couldn't be contained or captured. He still can't. 
and neither can God. Now, the mystery of all this raises our anxiety, but it also raises the excitement as we never know what God will do next. We can remain surprised and joyful and thankful for those surprises that come our way, a chore we dislike done by someone we love, a phone call from an old roommate, a time of prayer that leaves us feeling complete and whole and energized, music that touches our soul. The Holy Spirit comes to us in so many ways, through so many people, through you. And that Spirit brightens and enlivens and empowers the people that Spirit touches through you. The Holy Spirit is at work all around us. And we are invited not to tame the Spirit, but to dance with the Spirit so that even as we walk or swim or dog paddle through the rough waters, we celebrate each day of life and we share that good news with others. You are beloved ones of God. God is well pleased with you. Let's pray. Holy God, through Isaiah, you have shown us that you will be with us through the waters and through the purifying fires. We pray for the ability to recognize you at work, to sense your presence even as we go through our difficult days and times. And to be honest about how we're feeling, whether we feel like you're close or whether we feel like you're far away, for most of us have had those feelings at some time in our lives. We pray that you would cleanse us. We pray that you would come to us now with fire. Come with fire to enliven our weakened spirits and our dimmed hopes. Come with fire to light the path to your truth. Come with fire to burn away all in our world and in us that stands in the way of your word. Come with fire to warm hearts grown cold and to comfort those against whom the stormy winds have blown. Come with fire to draw us into the holiness of your life, to empower us with your spirit. Come with fire into the lives of those we love and those who are dealing with difficulties. We pray for healing and cleansing for Myrtle Craft, for Judy Ferrano, for Mildred Fitzgerald, for Buddy Garrett, for Kara Sutherland, for Ernie Dyerly, and for the family of the donor. We pray that you would come with fire to send us with zeal into the world you love. And we ask this in the name of your beloved Son, Christ our Lord.
Amen.